Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. You say I am 
That is the musical version of the sermon. I could just say amen and let's close in prayer. So powerful. Thank you guys for the extra time you put into singing that. I know it's not an easy song. Thank you so much. I was raised in the Bay Area, Oakland, Berkeley, San Francisco. I don't know if you're old enough, but there was a place out on Ocean Avenue. It was called Playland. And anybody been to Playland? Anybody remember Playland? Yep. My family, uh, my mom and dad used to take uh, my sister and my brother and I out to Playland, and they had slides. They had all these different little activities you could do. But one of the things I remember was the distorted mirrors. I don't know if you remember the distorted mirrors. You'd stand in front of a mirror, and it would just make you look weird. It would make you look, you know, if you were five feet tall, it would make you look eight feet tall and super like, like, like a pencil. And then you'd move to another mirror, and if you were six feet tall, it would make you look three feet tall and super wide, and, and your face was totally distorted, messed up. And you go to a different mirror, and each mirror, it was just a messed up mirror. It, it, it showed you a reflection of yourself that wasn't true. And it was kind of funny, and you laughed about it, but it's a perfect example of the world we live in. The world that you and I live in is a messed up mirror, telling you and telling me who I am. And how we think about ourselves, our identity, makes all the difference in how we live our lives, on how we treat other people, on uh, how we raise our kids, on how we relate to God. And this morning, there's a quote from Dallas Willard I want to begin with. He says this, our first freedom, our first freedom is where you put your mind. Think about that. You have a choice. You have the freedom to choose what you think about. You have the freedom to choose how you think about God, about yourself, about the voices around you and who people, who your parents who your boss, who the magazines, who television, who they say you are, that you're not enough, you're more than enough, whatever those messages are, you have a choice of what you're going to believe about those voices and those messages. Our first freedom is where you put your mind. The ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select or to choose what we will allow our minds, to dwell upon. What's the meaning of that quote? Well, what we choose to think about, what we choose to dwell on, what we choose to focus on will transform our life. It really will. You don't think that, but the power of the mind, what you feed, dwell on, choose, focus on, will take your life in one direction or another. So what's the most important thing about you? How would you answer that question? You're sitting at a dinner party. You're having a great meal with friends, and somebody says, what's the most important thing about you, about you, about you? How would you respond to that question? Our world would say, where you're from, or what university or college you went to. 
kind of sidebar here. I was talking to somebody yesterday, introduced to somebody, and they went to some college, but now they, they, they stopped going to that kind of known college, and now they're going to City College. And there was almost a, 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 the countenance of the person. It's like when they, when they admitted that they were going to City College, you could feel the, the body language kind of shrink, like somehow I'm better than him because I went to Cal State Hayward. Or, well, Jono's better than him because Jono went to Northwestern. Aaron, you did too. But sometimes we equate worth on where we went to college or didn't. That's what our world says. You're better, you're more important if you went to a more prestigious college, right? That's what our world says. What about what other people think about you? That's what our world says. How your kids turn out or don't turn out is a reflection on you and your worth, what kind of family you have or don't have, what you own or don't own. This is what the world says is the most important thing about you and me, what your gifts, your strengths, your abilities are. What's your career? You're an attorney. Oh, you're a doctor. Oh, I'm just a nurse. Like, you know, somehow we equate value, worth, importance, significance based on career. Oh, you're just a stay-at-home mom. Like somehow that's lower on the toe, right? And we could go on and on. Your looks, your weight, your smarts, your friends, your salary, all of this. These are the issues that our world would say defines who you are. And I would say it's not just the world out there, it's the world in here. It's who I, how I define myself, how you define yourself. And then I would just say maybe the last one, and this takes me into the, the heart of what I want to talk about. Our mistakes define who we are. And we define each other by our mistakes. There's a verse that I have shared with several people because it just rocked me. I just, I read it, I reread it, and I'm like, can somebody help me understand this verse? Like, am I, do I get this verse? Do I understand this verse? And, and I'm going to share it with you here in just a second, but here's what I want you to think about. When you think about your mistakes, the choices you've made, the mistakes, the failures, the blunders you've made, and you allow that to define you, your identity, you're an adulterer. You're a liar. You're a sneak. You covered up. You're a womanizer. You're a murderer. Do you think of those things when you think about David? Because David was all those things. One of the heroes of the Bible. Murderer, adulterer, sneaky, liar, covered up until he got caught. What if that was me? Would you remember me? John, he was awesome. He was great. No, no, no. He was a womanizer, an adulterer, a murderer, a cheat, uh, right? That's how our world defines it. But listen to this verse. 1 Kings 15, 5. For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep, what's the next word? Had not failed to keep, this is how he's remembered, any 
of the Lord's commands. How many days of his life? All the days of his life. Pause. And then there's this little phrase. Oh, yeah. Except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Now, do you read that like I read it? I'm like, it's like, it's like God's grace is covering up David's mistakes. It's like, well, what happened with Uriah the Hittite? You'd have to know some biblical history to know. Some of you in this room are like, I don't even know. But Uriah the Hittite, David, slept with Uriah's wife. And then he lied and he covered it up and he was sneaky about it. And what happened? That didn't really work. So he brought Uriah back and he tried to have get Uriah to sleep with his wife and blah, blah, blah. And then he ended up ordering him on the front lines of battle and had him murdered and taken out. But I love the way scripture, the lens of God, sees David and remembers David. Even the way it says it in this little phrase, except, just little, just except. The murderer, adulterer, the liar, the cheat, the cover-up. No, it doesn't say that. Oh, that little thing, that little thing, that little thing. And we in the church define people and label people because of their mistakes, their failures, their sins. How could he? He's not a Christian. He's a fraud. He's a fake. He's a hypocrite. He's a phony. That's what we would say if David was in this church. If David was John O'Shafer, kick him out. Doesn't have a place in here. But in the Bible, Look how it records and remembers David. Then you go to Acts 13. The Apostle Paul, he's preaching. I think it's in Antioch. And he's, he, and, he, and he's covering some of the history of Israel and God's faithfulness. And then he says this. After removing Saul, and then he goes, notice again, even in remembering Saul, he doesn't throw Saul under the bus, highlight all of Saul's craziness and deficiencies and failures. After removing Saul, that's all he says about Saul, the grace of God. And then what? He made David their king, and God testified concerning him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, what? A man after my own heart. That's how David's remembered, a man after God's own heart. Some of you are getting nervous right now, like, that's wrong. He shouldn't be remembered that way. A man after my own. What does that tell us about God, people? How does he see us? He doesn't see us through the lens of our mistakes. He sees us through the lens of grace, the lens of love, the lens of mercy, the lens of acceptance. Yeah, but what about truth? Grace and truth, right? Yeah, and the truth is grace. The truth about God is that he's gracious. That's the truth. God is merciful. He's loving. He's kind. We've been singing about it all morning. And I want this message to get, some of you are like, yeah, 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 I know. It's up here. But I, I want it here. I want, I, want, I want so desperately, I've been praying, God, I want people to leave here. More than just being able to explain your love. 
that they would experience it firsthand. That's what I want for every one of us this morning. This is the God of the Bible. This is how he sees David, through the lens of grace, not the lens of his mistakes. And so the lyrics of that song are so powerful to me. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. She's singing this song to God. In you, God, I find my worth. Not in my mistakes, not in what you think about me, not in what the culture, not in what the magazines. In you, God, in you, Jesus, I find my worth. In you, I find my identity. Not in my money, not in my mistakes. In you, God, I find my identity. You say I'm loved. Even when I can't feel it, I don't feel a thing. God, you say I'm loved. I'm going to believe that. You say I'm strong, even though I'm feeling so weak. My addiction, my choices, I got bad judgment. I'm weak, but God, no. God sees me and says, no, you're strong. And you say I'm held when I'm falling short. When I'm falling short, I, I, I don't feel held. I feel cast out. I'm beating myself up. I feel shame. I feel so far from. But you say, God, you're holding me close. When I don't belong, I wasn't invited to that party, that trip, that whatever. When I feel like I don't belong, you say, what do you say? God, you say, I am yours, a part of your family. You're proud of me. You love me. So here's my question. Who does God say that I am? Who does God say that you are? I love Stephen Furtick. He's, I, I, I've quoted him some. Several of us watch. He's like 40 years old. He's my favorite preacher in America. This guy, just he's on fire. I love him. He's great. But I loved what he said. Here's a quote from him. He says, it's not how God sees me. It's how I think God sees me that changes my life, that determines how I end up. It's not how God actually sees me. It's how I think up here. Let's get back to the mind. It's how I'm thinking God sees me that changes my life. So my question is, how do you think God sees you? How do you think God sees you? Screw up? Never enough? Deserving the hardship that you're going through? You deserve it. God's punishing you. You know? Three little reflections. If you have your program, there's a little outline there for you. Number one, here's the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth of what the Word says. Because this morning I'm like, I don't care what the world says. I care what the Word says. And I want to teach you the truth about what God's Word says. And the truth is that you're more special and unique than you actually think. You are more special and unique. You're a one of a kind. Unique, priceless, original. Original, priceless, unique, special. Psalm 139, 14, David, Old Testament, we just talked about him. He says, thank you. This is a prayer he's writing. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. And then Paul, Ephesians 2. We are his, what's the word? workmanship. Greek word is poema. It's this work of art. It's this kind of poem 
that's unique, that's one of a kind. It's uh, an epic poem. It's God's creative activity. You are a one of a kind. Made, created in the image of God. Special, unique. Second thing is you're more precious and adored than you think. And I know the guys are going, oh, great. Thanks, John. Precious. Yeah. Some of you need to receive that. Get rid of that macho BS. You are more precious and adored than you think, than you can imagine. And it's hard for you to open your heart to that. And today I hope you will. Do you know that God thinks about you constantly? Wait, what? How can he think about you and me and him and her all the because God's infinite, we're finite, we can't even get our head around that. God thinks about you constantly. Psalm 139, let's go back to it. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? Listen to this. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. The grains of sand on this planet, I mean, they're infinite. And that's that's how often God's thinking about you all the time, constantly. Has so much for you, so much love, so much hope for you. And then did you know that God has your name tattooed on his hand? Some of you are like, tattoo? That's like sin, right? No. <laughs> Unless it's your kid, right? Right. <laughs> Listen to this, Isaiah 49, 16. I have written your name on the palm of my hand, he says to the people of God. I have your name. God's hand is big. I have your name. Why would God have your name tattooed on the palm of his hand? Because you're more precious and you're more adored. He's crazy about you. My daughter and her husband... We were, we were the parents who were like, don't get a tattoo, don't get a tattoo. Well, they actually went and got a tattoo, and they put the initial, Shannon has the initial G, because her husband's name is Garrett, on her little wrist here, and he has the initial S. Why would you do that? Because you're committed, in love, crazy about, you adore that person so much, you go, let's go get inked, right? Is that right? I mean, isn't that true? God has you, your name tattooed on the palm of his hand, according to Isaiah 49. And then here's the third reflection. I hope it's, it's some of you, it's still here. I want it to move down to your heart right now. You are more valuable and loved, more valuable and loved than you can imagine, than you think. Matthew, 20, or Matthew 6, 26. Look at all the birds, Jesus said. Do you think they worry about their existence? They don't plant or reap or store up food, yet your heavenly Father provides them each with food. Look at the next line. Aren't you much more, what's the word? Valuable to your Father than they? The nuance there is you are. It's not a question. It's he's making a statement. You are so much more valuable than you even think, than you even know. I'm going to have an opportunity, actually this week, to go to the Picasso Museum in Barcelona. Now let me ask you this. If I brought home 
an original Picasso and a copy Picasso. And I was going to give it to you. Which one would you want? You want the original or do you want the copy? Raise your hand if you want the original. Okay, put your hands up. Raise your hand if you want the copy. You want the copy. You don't want the original. Okay. Why would we say the originals, would we, would we say the original is more valuable? Who's going to pay more for the original? Right? We're going to pay more for it, but why? Why is the original more valuable than a copy? They kind of look the same. We have a, we have a copy in the uh, Rembrandt, right? In the loft of the prodigal son. It's awesome, but it's not the original. What'd you pay for it? 10, how much? Yeah, 10, 20, 30, 50 bucks. The original's priceless. Why? Why is the original so valuable? Have you thought about that? Why is it so valuable? I was asking people that question. Greg Carlson, this morning, I loved what he said. He said, it's because it gives you a direct connection to the artist, to the creator of the painting, a direct connection. Originals are more valuable. You are a one-of-a-kind, priceless original. Priceless original. Valuable. Valuable, valuable. And people pay more for originals. Look at this verse, Romans 5.8. God showed his great love for us. How? How did he do it? Did he send us just a letter? Neon sign? No, it says, by sending Christ to die for us. He paid the price for our sin. He said, you're an original, you're worth it, you're valuable, so I'm going to send Christ to die. That's what we celebrate here at communion. That's how valuable you are. That's how loved you are. God said, I don't want you to be separated from me. That's what sin does. Selfishness separates us from God. But the death of his son, that sacrifice, demonstrated how much he loved us. It paid the price for our sin. John 3, 16, I love the passion translation. Listen to the, the way this is translated. For this is how much God loved the world. Oh, how? He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but what? Experience everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to what? Judge and condemn the world. That's the lie that a lot of us believe. Oh, God's going to judge me and condemn me. That's what God's about. That, that's, not what the God, that's not what the word says. That's what the world says. The word says God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it, rescue you. Jesus gave his life for you. It's a demonstration of his love, how valuable you are, how deeply loved you are. Let me just jump because I'm out of time now. I, I want to ask this question, so what? Okay, so what? So I'm special, I'm unique, I'm adored, I'm precious, I'm valuable. So what? I'm loved, okay, whatever. What difference does that make when you walk out of here? Why, why does that even matter? How would you answer that question? I asked Casey that question this week. I'm like, why, did, why, does this, why does it even matter? 
Some of you are sitting here going, I, don't, I, I know, I don't need, I, I, this is like navel gazing, you know, let's just look at our belly button. Okay, I'm loved, whatever. Some of you, that's where you're thinking right now. Why does this make a difference if you let it get from here to here? I think it depends on the mirror you look in. When you look in the mirror that's distorted, the messed up mirror, the mirror of our culture, of our world, there's kind of two extremes. One, you develop pride. You look down on others and you feel better than others because you live in 93108. And somebody in here lives in Nolita. They don't even get the G. They, they don't even get Golita. They don't even get the good land. They're in Nolita. And you're in 93108 in Montecito, and you're like, yeah, sorry, Nolita. What is that? But we, that's real. I'm better than you because of where I live. There's this false pride. I went to, you fill in the blank, whatever school, oh, yeah. Those of us, I did have two years of city college. There is. It's like, it's like an imprint on your heart of I'm not good enough. If you're a city college kid, I don't know where, it's like, it's what the culture says. And you start believing it. And so there's a pride that comes when we judge, evaluate, compare ourselves to each other, that the mirror out there is the world. Some of us are like, look at me, look how much money I have. Look at my net worth. Yeah. I'm better than you, and I look down on you. And that's spiritual cancer to your soul because now you're unwilling to serve. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't do setup team, dude. I live in the historic district, Upper East Side, man. I'm not setting up chairs. I don't do that. You need help in the nursery? Are you kidding? I'm better than that. It's spiritual cancer to our soul when we start looking at the mirror that's distorted that says, I'm better than other people. But then there's the flip side, and that is the insecurity. Those of us that look at the, the cultural mirror and we, it just feeds our insecurity. What does that mean? It means I have this, I feel this pressure, you feel this pressure to keep up the facade, the phoniness i got to maintain my status to look good, to look important, to impress, because you're going to love me more. You want to hang out with me more when I pick up the tab, but when I don't pick up the tab, I don't know where you went. We're not friends anymore. You don't call me anymore. You get the point that I'm making? When we hold up the mirror, it feeds insecurity. That is no way to live. Or it feeds pride. There's two extremes. You got pride on one side. You got insecurity over here. So what's in the middle? What's God's dream for you? God's dream is that my maker is my mirror, and that leads to freedom. Just what Jonah was talking about as we started. Freedom. That's God's dream for me, for you, for everybody in this room. Not pride, not insecurity, not arrogance, not self-consciousness, feeling less than or feeling more than. It's freedom. What's freedom look like? Freedom from comparing, freedom from competing, freedom from what you think, needing you to like me, freedom from your criticism crushing me. 
about my sermon or your affirmation dictating my mood. You made, you made my year because you told me I did. I, I got a seven instead of a three this week, you know. Wow, look at me. And somehow I allow you to dictate my moods because my mirror is telling me who I am. You, I'm allowing you to tell me who I am rather than allowing my creator, my maker to tell me who I am. Are you tracking with me? Nod your head if you're like, I'm hearing you. Just say it out loud if you're hearing me this morning because I don't know. Okay, good, 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 good. Let me, let me wrap it up then. We're going to come to the table. Maybe because of just even thinking about David this morning and how God remembered David and that lens of grace. I want you to think about the table here as you come. This is your mirror. This is your mirror. As you come to the table, this is telling you that you're forgiven. This table tells you that you're worth it. Maybe you grew up in a home where you never felt like you were worth it. Nobody ever sacrificed for you. You felt invisible, unimportant, left behind. Maybe you were like, I'm never enough. The table says you are enough. God sent his son to say, you are enough. You are loved by God. And I just love to remind us every now and then of who on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. He was saying to his disciples, but it extends to all of us who are followers of Jesus. His body broken for you. And then he took the cup after the supper and he said, this cup, it's the new covenant. It's a new way. I'm approachable. God's accessible through Jesus Christ. Through the blood of the lamb, there is now forgiveness of sin. And we can have actually an authentic, real, personal relationship with the living God. It's not just, oh yeah, God, Jesus died for me and it's up here. It's, I f actually feel loved. It's one thing to know, okay, I'm loved. It's another thing to go, I actually feel loved. I feel loved because he sacrificed for me. Who was at that table on that night 2,000 years ago? Peter was there, wasn't he? Wasn't he one of the disciples? Peter, do you remember Peter? Do you remember Peter, what he did when Jesus was about to be crucified? I don't even know the man. Three times he denied Jesus. Well, he's not a Christian, is he? Would you, would you say he's a Christian if he did? If I said I denied Jesus, you go, you're not a Christian. You don't really believe. You're a fake. You're a phony. You're a hypocrite, Peter. Oh, Jesus extends the bread to him and the cup to him and said, for the forgiveness of sins. Was, was Thomas at that table? Was he allowed in, into the room that night, doubting Thomas. I'm not sure I believe this stuff. Jesus is like, yeah, get out of here. When you figure it out, then you can come back and you can have communion. Then you're qualified. I'll give you the secret password. Was that what happened? No, 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 no. Thomas, get in here. I know you got questions. I know you're still trying to figure it all out. But I know the desire of your heart is leaning in, that you, you want to figure it out. You, you want to be in relationship with me. You just have some questions. Maybe that's you this morning. And what was Jesus' response? He served Thomas the bread and the cup. Oh, yeah, you know who the next name I'm going to bring up is? Judas. Well, we know for sure Judas is in hell. I know that for sure, don't you? Oh, wait a minute. Jesus didn't kick him out of the table. Jesus said, Hey, Judas, 
I know what you're going to do. I know, I, know, I know where your heart is right now. Grace. Jesus just keeps coming. Grace. Love. Forgiveness. Yeah, but, but Lord, you know where my mind is right now? I love you. I'm pursuing you. It's relentless. It just keeps coming. And that's why grace is offensive. Because some of you right now are offended. Well, no, no, no. Judas ain't included. Peter ain't included. Thomas, yeah, they are. Jesus, I mean, he served him communion that night. And so if your heart is open to Christ, if you're saying, wow, you mean he still loves me even though last night I was, you know, I'm not even going to say it out loud. Yeah. If this morning your heart's saying, I want Christ, I want to follow him, I want to be forgiven, then you come to this table, you kneel, you stand, you rip off the bread, you dip it in the cup. I'm going to invite the band to come. Close your eyes with me. Let's pray. I pushed a little this morning hard because some of us, what about the truth? It's this grace and truth. What about the truth? The truth is God is gracious. That's the truth. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I'm banking on it, believe me. So kind Father, right here, right now, I pray that you would take the truth of your grace and move it from my head to my heart, that I would actually experience and feel loved by you this morning knowing what you went through, knowing that Jesus gave up his life, that he suffered, that he was crucified for me because he said you're worth it. And I don't want to be separated from you. I want you to be my child. And so this morning, Lord, we open our hearts, wherever you are in the room, right here, right now, as, as best as you know how. You just whisper that little prayer. I open my heart to God's love. Come into my life and renew me, forgive me. I believe that this truth is for me and this table is for me in Jesus' name, amen. When you're ready, I invite you to come to the table. We also have prayer team and the prayer team's here to bless you. Maybe, maybe this morning you just need a blessing. Maybe some of you need prayer. Um, just come and let us pray over you this morning. Come and receive. Before you re-enter your day, we hope that you will take just a few moments to pause and respond to what God has put on your heart through this message. Thank you again for listening to the Ocean Hills podcast. For access to more sermons, visit the Watch and Listen page on OceanHills.org or find them on the Ocean Hills app.